All right, it's good to see you guys today. Um, I wanted to say something before I get into my message. You know, when Jesus started the movement, he called the church. Uh, he intended that we would believe in him, we would follow him, but, but there was something very specific he said. If you go back and look, like, like when he first started his movement, he said, I have good news for the poor. And he intended that his movement would continue on that vision to make an impact in the lives of those who are poor and oppressed. And that is a part of our vision here at City Church. And uh, as Sherry said, starting in December, we're going to do a, a series where we really focus on God's call for us to serve the poor and the oppressed and to do something more than feel bad about it. We're going to do something about it. We're going to be a people who live with purpose and make a difference. And it's going it's to take some courage and faith in us, but I'm excited about that. And I, I want you to know that uh, those of you who call City Church your church, <coughs> when you give here, not only do lives change here, you enable us to forge strategic partnerships with other great organizations that are making an impact in the lives of the poor and the oppressed. And so I pray God's blessings upon you as you give today. I pray that God would bless you abundantly. Now, last week, I invited you as a part of this Choose Joy series to begin the practice of uh, keeping a happiness journal. Did anybody like keep your happiness journal this week? One person? Anybody? Okay, one person listened to what I said. Thank you, sir. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> anyway, I, I challenged people to keep a happiness journal so that they, we would all begin to re reflect on the, God's goodness in our lives. And I asked you to answer this question each day. What am I grateful for today? How was I blessed today? You know, what can I celebrate about today? And so I've never done this before myself. So I added this to my normal time with God in, in prayer and the reading of scriptures. So now I'm keeping a happiness journal. And, and one day, when I was out for my walk, I was walking along, and I saw this buck. And uh, I took a picture of it, and, and I mean, he was real close, so I stopped, and I just looked at him, took a picture. And, and you know what I put in my journal? I said, you know, today I saw a buck on my walk, and how fortunate is it that I live in a city where I'm close enough to a park where I can go for a walk and see a buck? Man, I'm, I'm so lucky. And I'm telling you, there, there's something about paying attention to the little blessings in life that begins to shape the way you think and how you feel. And that's what this series is about. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, I got to go out to Los Angeles and visit my daughter, Anna. And uh, while I was driving around in L.A., something I actually like, I saw these funny billboards promoting the movie Grinch. Now, this last weekend, uh, Grinch was the number one uh, box office uh, movie from the week. And uh, if you're familiar, the Grinch is a snarky, sarcastic, negative, joy-sucking character who relishes in sucking the joy out of other people, too. He just gets, gets off on it. And uh, what's interesting about the Grinch is he has this ne negative, sarcastic narrative that goes on in his mind, only we get to hear it, right? And so in, in, in uh, the, the producers to promote this movie secured billboards all across our country in which they spread the gospel of the Grinch, this negative, sarcastic uh, narrative. And so I, I, I look, went online and I looked at, for some of my favorites. These are some of my favorites. This first one is in New York City on Broadway where he says, good luck getting those Hamilton tickets. <laughs> Here's one in San Francisco. Rent is so cheap here. This one's at a New York City subway station. I'm sure you'll catch the next one. 
<laughs> and then these are, are, are uh, two of my favorites from Hollywood, uh, where, where my daughter lives. Another remake? Hollywood. I hope you're proud. And then this last one was my favorite. I actually saw this one on Hollywood Boulevard at the end of the street. Of course you'll make it as an actor. <laughs> oh, I love the Grinch. <laughs> and while uh, the Grinch reflects this humorous, snarky, sarcastic, negative uh, person with this na narrative going on in his mind, I, I think we all know that some of us struggle with a negative narrative too. We have this negative, sarcastic narrative going on in our minds, and it's bringing us down. And, you know, it's, it's one thing, like the Grinch, to have it just going on in, in your mind. But what happens is, if you think those kind of thoughts, if you have that kind of narrative going on in your mind, it will uh, cause you to feel negative. And when you think negative thoughts and you feel negative feelings, you will act in negative ways. And in particular... If you've got negative stuff on the inside, it is going to come out. And guess what? It's going to come out all on the people around you. And it's going to create conflict. Now, last week, we were focusing on that negative narrative that some of us have going on in our minds that's negative about, about you. You know what I mean? When you get on you, when you're critical of you, and when you get on you and you're critical of you, it's going to come out on everybody else. And so at some point in your journey... You are going to have to choose to love yourself the way God loves you. That's what Jesus taught. That the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your spirit, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So you got to get that negative na narrative changed about you. But to, today I want us to focus on the negative narrative that you have going on about others. You see, when you have negative, critical, bitter thoughts going on in your mind about somebody else, it will create negative, bitter uh, feelings within you, and it will come out in, in negative, critical words and actions. And this is what happens. When we have that negative narrative going on about somebody, somebody we're in conflict with, then it comes out. And we hurt other people, and it creates conflict, and conflict sucks the joy out of us. Now, as I said last week, I, I think that it, for most people, when you're a kid, it's easy, easy to feel joy and to celebrate joy in the little things in life. Like, you know, like I'm thinking this time of year, like, man, I remember as a kid running and my dad would pile a pile of leaves and I would run and jump and kick and just have a good time with leaves. And, you know, we talked last week about kids jumping up and down in puddles of water. Kids are just so awesome. And then something happens along the way and they turn into us. What we said is they experience joy-sucking circumstances. And joy-sucking circumstances are those circumstances that just suck the joy out of us. Where we, we look at a puddle as something to avoid instead of something to enjoy. Joy-sucking circumstances like abuse, divorce, betrayal, employment crises, financial crises, health crises. But there's one kind of joy-sucking circumstance that is co common to all of us. And that is interpersonal conflict. We all will face conflict in life. And, and honestly, conflict is a, is a normal part of all healthy relationships. It's to be expected. But how we uh, respond to conflict can either suck the joy out of us or cause us to be able to live with even greater joy. I know that may surprise you because that's what we're going to look at today. 
how you can experience conflict and it lead to greater joy instead of less joy. Now, conflict is a normal part of all relationships, but unresolved conflict is not. And if we allow unresolved conflict to stay in our relationships, it will suck the joy out of us, all right? And so, uh, today, as we're, we, we, we look at this study, I want you to think about someone that you're in conflict with. I don't want this just to be theoretical. So think about someone you're in conflict with. This is the person that you argue with a lot. Or maybe this is the person you passive-aggressively ignore. Or maybe uh, this is the person that whenever you see this person or you hear this person's name, it makes you feel negative emotions. You know what I'm saying? This could be your spouse. It could be an ex it could be a parent or a grandparent. It could be a child. It could be a coworker. It could even be somebody who attends city church. Oh, you, you got that person? If you feel, if you are thinking negative thoughts, you've got that negative narrative, and you're feeling negative emotions about that person, it is sucking the joy out of you. It's like a cancer within you eating away at your healthy emotions. And I promise you, you can get it out. I promise you that if you will resolve conflict in a healthy way, you can feel joy no matter what. Now, in this series, we're exploring what the early church leaders taught uh, believers about experiencing joy no matter what. And so uh, today, we're going to go back to the, the uh, letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian believers. And he wrote this letter to believers who were experiencing some unpleasant circumstances. They were, uh, because of their faith in Jesus, they were facing religious discrimination. So they were, they were facing conflict with people outside the church. But this week, we're going to look at how they were also experiencing division within the church. So they were facing conflict within the church, and it was messing with their joy. <laughs> so what was going on? Well, when Paul planted the church at Philippi, it started at a women's prayer meeting. And so from the earliest days of that church in Philippi, women played a key role in leading the church. In fact, those women were some of the first believers in all of Europe. And uh, in the church in Philippi, uh, the, there were some women who were key leaders who were in a conflict. And their conflict was making a mess, not only of their relationship, but uh, it was spreading into the church. And so Paul wrote specifically to these two ladies. Uh, this is Philippians chapter, two, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. He says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord because they were in conflict. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Okay, first of all, can I just say, how would you like to get called out in a letter by name that made it into the Bible? <laughs> forever. So billions and billions of people see your name and the bad behavior forever and ever. That would be awesome. Now, that was my Grinch way of thinking. Sorry. Uh, now, it's clear these two women had such a serious conflict and that they were such key leaders that it was not, not just a mess between them, but it was making a mess within the church. And, and it was stealing people's joy. And did you notice what Paul asked them to do? I think this is so interesting. This is verse 2. He asked them to be of the same mind in the Lord. He said, be of the same mind. Literally, he said, I want you to think the same thing. Think the same thing. Okay? And this is what he's saying. If you're going to make peace, it begins up here. You got to learn how to think the same thing about the conflict and about each other. You have to get on the same page. And you have to be willing to do that. 
And here's what I think Paul is saying. He's, he's calling us to do more than like to make an apology. He's calling us to do more than just tolerate the other person. You, you, come on, you ever done that? Where you're angry at someone, you got conflict with them, and so you just tolerate them, you just move on, move on and you don't deal with it? No, that's not the same as making peace. Here, here Paul is saying, you got to make up your mind to make peace. I'm going to say that again. You got to make up your mind to make peace. That's what he's saying. You got to get on the same page together. You need to think the same thing about this conflict and about each other. And so the rest of this part of his letter is, is talking about how you do that. How do you make up your mind to make peace? Uh, and, and so uh, the next verse uh, is verse four. Sorry. Okay. Where Paul says, and this is the mantra, this is our, our theme verse for the whole series. He writes, you make up your mind to make peace by choosing joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Will you say that with me out loud? Everybody in the video cafe too. You ready? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And here Paul is telling us that joy is a choice. You can choose joy. Always. In every circumstance, even in conflict, you can choose joy. You can choose that. Well, how do you do that? That just sounds silly, Pastor Brent. How do you choose joy when you're in a conflict with someone? Did you notice what he said? He said, rejoice in the Lord. Here's how you choose joy. You focus on the Lord, who he is, his goodness, his love, his grace toward you, his forgiveness toward you. And when you focus on the Lord and, and you get his perspective on this other person, it allows you to feel joy no matter what. Joy is not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of pain or suffering. In life, there will be disagreements. There will be challenges. There will be injustices. There will even be betrayal. But in a conflict, if you choose to focus on the Lord, in that you can choose joy. And when, when you get your mind focused on the Lord, it changes the way you, you feel about the other person. And so don't let your circumstances steal your joy. Instead, choose joy and let the joy from within you influence the way you handle the circumstance. Paul continues, uh, verse 5. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. And so Paul is saying, when you're in conflict, let gentleness rise up within you. Well, what's he talking about, okay? So for those of you who are new to church, uh, maybe you haven't figured out the God thing yet, you're not sure what you think about Jesus, I just want you to know I'm glad you're here. Uh, you're welcome here, and this is a part of our faith is unpacking the teachings of the first church leaders. And here, when Paul calls for these believers to, to choose gentleness, he's talking about a fruit of the Spirit. So we, those of us who are believers, we know that when, when we believe God gives us his spirit. And then there are these fruits of the spirit that are in us. They're already in you. Gentleness is in you. Paul's talking about letting it come out. And this, this word that Paul uh, uses here for gentle, gentleness, it's an interesting word. It's a legal word. And it literally means not insisting on your rights. Not insisting on your right to be right. Because isn't that what, what makes conflict worse? I, I want to stand on my right to be right, whether I'm right or not. And that makes the conflict worse, doesn't it? And, and here, here's, here's what I want to say to you. If you choose to press your right to be right, you're sucking joy out of yourself. 
just like a cancer within you. Here's how I know this. The, according to the Journal of Social Psychiatry, researchers found that people who tend to hold grudges in their fight to be right reported higher rates, get this, higher rates of heart disease, cardiac arrest, elevated blood pressure, stomach ulcers, arthritis, back problems, headaches, and chronic pain. If you hold on to grudges in your fight to be right, you're sucking the joy out of yourself. I'll assure you, all of those physical ailments will suck the joy out of you. Instead of trying to win, try to make peace. Make up your mind to make peace. Peace doesn't just happen. You have to make peace. I'm going to say that again. Peace doesn't just happen. You have to make peace. You have to make up your mind to pursue peace. And we make peace by making amends when we've made a mess. That's, that's the word we use here at City Church is when there's brokenness relationally, you, you got to go and make amends. You got you to mend the relationship. But to do that, we must think gentle thoughts. Remember, Paul said you got to make up your mind to make peace. It begins up here in what you think. So what if you don't have gentle thoughts? What if you have angry thoughts and aggressive thoughts? How do you get your thoughts right toward the other person? Paul continues, uh, verse 6 and 7. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in every situation, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So, notice here, there's, God, there, there's our part in this of, of getting gentle thoughts, and then there's God's part. Our part in this is to pray. Paul calls us to pray, because this is what happens. When we pray about the conflict, about the person we're with, we get our minds and our hearts in line with God's mind and his heart. A, lot, a big part of prayer, it's not just asking God for stuff. It's saying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven about this relationship, about this conflict that I'm in. I want your will, not my will. I want you to win. I don't, I don't want to win. I want you to win, right? Because if you really want God to win, he wants peace. He wants unity. He wants restoration, right? And so prayer gets our hearts and our minds aligned with God. Pray that you would gain God's perspective on the conflict. Pray that you would be able to see and acknowledge any part that you played in the conflict in the wrong. And then pray for the other person. I, you know what I found? If you can get to where you can pray for the person you're in conflict with, pray for God to bless them, it does something in your heart. That's our part is the prayer. And then there's God's part. God says if we will pray, if we will lift up our anxious thoughts, because isn't that what happens when we get into conflict? When, when we're in conflict, we feel all of these anxious feelings. And that messes with you. It does. It just does stuff to you. He says if we will pray, pray for the person, pray to get his heart in our heart, he will exchange our anxieties for his peace. And his peace transcends a human experience. His peace is otherworldly. Don't you want to experience his peace? He says, I'll give it to you. Not your... And if he gives you that kind of peace that is transcendent, that means it doesn't depend upon your circumstances. And that's what this series is all about. You can have peace no matter what. You can have joy no matter what. If you will pray and get your heart and your mind aligned with God's heart and his mind, God says, I will exchange my peace for your anxiety. And uh, God's peace, it does not mean that there will be reconciliation, because right, that depends on the other person. 
But it does mean you can have peace in your heart. It does mean you can have joy in your heart. And once you get to a place of peace in your heart about the conflict, then Paul writes about how do you get your mind, your thinking right about that person. You ready? This is verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about such things. Once again, what is Paul saying? How do you make peace? Starts up here. Starts up here in what you think, because what you think determines what you do and how you feel. And he's saying you got to think right. And in particular, this verse 8, he's talking about the person you're in conflict with. So I want us to get this. He's talking about noticing what is, what is pure in the other person. What is lovely in the other person? What is right and true in the other person? Now, let, me, let me tell you what I think is going on here. Sometimes in a conflict, we reduce a person down to the size of the wrong or the conflict. And so all we can think about that person is that person's negative traits, their annoying habits, their hurtful words and actions. And when we do that, we create a caricature of who the person really is. And so Paul encourages us to take some time and to think about what is lovely and pure and honorable in the person we are in conflict with. You know what I think is really going on? I think too many times we tend to just shrink that person down to the wrong they've done and the hurtful actions they've, they've committed against us. And so we can't see them the way God sees them anymore. And this is what I've noticed. Most people, myself included, are, are an odd mixture of good stuff and bad stuff. Right? And I'll admit, I have read about and come across a very few, like, really evil people, bad people. I, I, and I have. But you know what I think Paul's saying here? Your boss, your boss is not Hannibal Lecter. You know what I'm saying? Your ex, your ex is not Thanos. And so a part of the way you make up your mind to make peace is to think the right thoughts about the other person. And if you will become the kind of person who makes up your mind to make peace, not only will you get peace, you will also be able to experience joy. No matter what, even if the other person doesn't get things right in their own heart or in their minds. And so this is what I'm asking you to do. First thing I'm, I'm asking you to do is to forgive the other person from your heart. Forgive the person. No matter who started it, no matter who did more wrong, Choose to forgive the person who has wronged you from your heart. Because that's about getting your heart right. And that's one of Jesus' primary teachings, to forgive like the Father has forgiven us, forgive others. Even if the other person doesn't ask for it, forgive anyway. Because forgiveness is about getting your heart and your mind right. And so what I encourage you to do is to think about that other person who has wronged you. And just pray this prayer, Lord, I choose to forgive him of this. I forgive him of doing this, betraying me. I forgive her for the words that she spoke to me. And I choose to let it go. I, I don't insist on the right to be right. I forgive this person and I let it go. And then the second thing I'm asking you to do is uh, you may need to have a crucial conversation where you make amends, where you make things right. Now, you shouldn't do that if, if speaking with the other person would cause you harm. But if, if it's possible for you to make things right, 
Because it's not just about getting your heart right. It's also about making amends, about making the relationship right. And so I think that requires a, a crucial conversation. Now, uh, sociologists have found that most people avoid crucial conversations like this to, to, uh, to reconcile a conflict because they're afraid. They're afraid they're going to make the conflict worse. They're afraid they're going to ruin the relationship if they bring up something ugly, and so they just don't do it. And what's interesting is the same sociologists have found is that if we have these crucial conversations, if we resolve conflict in a healthy way, we end up making the relationship stronger than it was before the conflict. So I'm going to say that again. They have found that if you can resolve conflict in a healthy way, you actually make the relationship stronger than it was before the conflict. Resolving conflict can actually be something positive in your relationship. But you have to choose to make peace. You have to make up your mind to make peace. So what's keeping you from making peace? Well, maybe it's fear. Maybe you're afraid that you're going to make things worse. And so you just don't bring it up. Or maybe, maybe it's pride. Pride makes us want to be right. Pride makes us want to fight to be right. Pride makes us not want to humble ourselves and admit what we've done wrong in the circumstance, right? Or in the conflict. Maybe it's shame. Maybe you feel bad about some of the words that you've spoken, some of the actions that you've done in the conflict, and you think, well, if I just avoid it and I don't talk about it, it'll just go away. It doesn't go away. You have to make peace. Remember, peace doesn't just happen. You gotta make it. Maybe for you, it could just be that, that you're ignorant about how to make peace, like nobody ever taught you how to make peace. You know, in, in, in the right kind of a family, your parents are supposed to teach you how to make peace. That's a part of like growing up. But maybe you grew up in a family where your parents never resolve conflict, and so you just don't know how. Or maybe you grew up in a family where your parents handle conflict in dysfunctional, unhealthy ways, and so you just don't know. Well, so if no, nobody ever taught you how to make peace, have these cru crucial conversations, I'm going to teach it. And so once you've gotten your mind and your heart right about this person that you're in conflict with, then go to that person. And just say something like this. You know, I've sensed that there's been some tension and conflict between us. And it doesn't feel good. I think you know it doesn't feel good. And so I want you to know I've wronged you. I've wronged you in this way. And just confess. Confess any way that you have wronged that person. And then say, and so I humbly ask you to forgive me. And then just be quiet. If the, if the person forgives you, thank them for forgiving you. If the person asks you to forgive them, forgive the person. If the person says, whatever, let it go. Because you know you've done the right thing. Pray a blessing. That's what Jesus taught. If someone responds to you like that, you just pray a blessing on them. Just in, just in your heart. God, I just bless him. I bless her. I pray that you would help them experience the kind of peace I feel. You see what I'm saying? I think if we'll have these kind of cru crucial conversations, we're going to become a people who live in peace. Okay, so I want you to think about that person I asked you to think about earlier, the one you're in conflict with. I'm asking you to forgive that person in your heart, and I'm asking you to go. And to make peace, right? Have a crucial conversation. And in fact, you know, it's Thanksgiving coming up. It may be one of those people you don't look forward to on Thanksgiving, right? Oh, I got gotcha. you. So I want you to talk to them this Thanksgiving and make things right. You know what I'm saying? I believe. I believe church ought to be the kind of community where messy people 
can get real about our messy lives, our messy conflicts, and make up our minds to make peace. Church ought to be the kind of community where we can celebrate life together, rejoice together, where we can choose joy together, no matter what. Church ought to be a happy place, a happy group of people. Not that we don't face hard times, we do, but we can choose joy, a joy that comes from God. And I believe with all of my heart, we, we do our very best here at City Church to be that kind of community, the kind of community where you can get real about any messiness in your lives. You don't have to put on a fake smile when you come to this community. You can be real. Nobody's going to look down on you because we all have struggles. We all have messes. Welcome. And I believe that this is the kind of church community where you can experience a peace that is beyond understanding, where you can experience joy no matter what. And I think a, a part of the reason why we're such a, a strong community of peacemakers is because of some, some of the gifted leadership that we've had throughout the years who have guided us along the way. Now, you may not know this, but City Church is actually guided by a team of elders. And this last week, one of our elders, Dennis Shaw, suddenly and tragically passed away uh, after a long battle with cancer. And uh, Dennis was more than just an elder to me. He was a mentor. He was a man of wisdom, a man of peace and joy. And uh, I'm, I'm going to miss him dearly. Uh, now, here's something I want you to know about Dennis. He didn't grow up in the church. He grew up in Oregon. And you know all them people from Oregon are, you know. <laughs> he got to Texas as soon as he could. Um, he, he, he grew up in Oregon, and, and he loved Oregon. He would tell stories about hunting in Oregon and stuff. But he did not grow up in the church. And I think that's what made Dennis such an awesome fit as an elder here, because we're a church for non-church people, for people who don't get church and don't go to church. And that's why he was such a good leader for us. Anyway, he experienced some unhappy circumstances in life. He faced some really challenging conflicts in life. As a Vietnam veteran, he was engaged in frontline combat, life-threatening combat in service of his country. And he didn't like to talk about it much, but you could tell when he did, it had had a profound impact on him as a person. Well, after his service uh, along the way in his journey, De Dennis ended up believing in Jesus. And it changed him. It changed his heart. It's like, I've, I only knew him after Jesus. I didn't know the pre-J, you know, Dennis. And he would talk to me about that sometimes. And uh, Dennis, uh, he spent the rest of his life trying to help other people believe in Jesus too. As a businessman, he started his own business, very successful. But he invested his life in the movement. He served right here at our church on our Kids City team. He loved helping kids learn about Jesus. He served on our Connect team as an usher, as a greeter. Uh, he also helped us launch and plant our downtown uh, city church. He also uh, worked with an organization called Bible Study Fellowship that helps people study the scriptures uh, right here in our city. And then, of course, for the last 10 years, he served as an elder here at City Church. And for those, those of us who knew Dennis, what we will remember most is that he always smiled. I don't smile all the time. He smiled all the time, and he loved to laugh. And the more I heard about his story and some of the unpleasant circumstances he experienced and some of the challenging conflicts he went through, 
He became an example to me of a person who could choose joy no matter what. Lord Jesus, we bless you. We love you. We do thank you for your grace. Thank you for being a ransom for us. We love you, Jesus. And Lord Jesus, today I thank you for my friend Dennis, for the way he invested his life in your kingdom and in this world. Uh, I pray for his family as they grieve, for those of his friends as we grieve. I pray that you would bless them. And then, Lord, I do ask that you would help us to make peace. I pray that you would help us to make peace where there's conflict. Help us to make peace where there's division and contention. And, Lord, stir up within us hearts of joy. Lord, let us know joy again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I bless you. Our prayer team's going to be available here in the front to serve you. God bless you. Go in peace. We'll see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving.